Welcome to the While She Naps podcast, episode 11, recorded on January 2nd, 2014. I'm Abby Glassenberg. I've got two fantastic indie designers as my guests on the show today, Betts White and Claudine Helmuth. We've each compiled a list of some of our favorite things that we're enjoying right now, everything from books to apps, tools, recipes, podcasts, and other great things we think you'll love. And we're going to share our lists on the show today. First, I want to introduce you to Claudine. Claudine is living proof that you can have a successful and profitable business that's driven on pure whimsy. She designs and illustrates printable boxes and kits that bring delight to customers young and old. She's been featured in the New York Times, appeared on the Martha Stewart Show, HGTV, the Home Shopping Network, QVC UK, and the DIY Network. Her client list includes projects with major companies like Smart Car, Capital Records, and national publications, such as the Saturday Evening Post. When she's not covered in paper and glue and tape, she's walking her dog Maggie, reading a book, or enjoying a well-deserved afternoon nap with her very fat cat Mabel. You can find her online at collageartist.com. And my second guest today is Betts White. Betts has built a career on thoughtful design, skilled craftsmanship, and a focus on materials that are kind to people and planet alike. She is the best-selling author of two books that encourage readers to stitch beautifully and tread lightly. Warm Fuzzies was published by Northlight in 2007 and Sewing Green by STC Craft in 2009. You'll find Betts teaching online at Craftsy and Creative Bug and blogging at blog.bettswhite.com. Betts, Claudine, welcome. Great to be Hi. here. Thanks for having us. Claudine, I'd love to hear what's new with you. You create such amazing printables. They're adorable and useful and make any party or occasion special. What are you working on right now? Well, right now, the main focus of my business really are the printables that I'm working on. Uh, right, I have an Etsy shop and I'm going to be working soon on having my own shop as well as I've been reading your wonderful articles on your blog about doing that. And as you and I were tweeting, Abby, back and forth, it really is sort of a choose-yourself economy right now. And I've done a lot of licensing in my artwork. And over the years, since 1998, I've been licensing my artwork. And it really has been recently when I just chose to go in my own direction and work on the printables, which are completely self-driven. I decide what I'm going to make, what it's going to look like, what I'm going to experiment with, put it in my store. I've really found a lot of success and fulfillment in that, so that's what I'm concentrating most of my business on right now. That's fantastic, and I, I agree with you, as we were talking about on Twitter, um, self-publishing is such a wonderful way to make a living as an artist now. It really is, and I've done everything. I've worked with companies who have produced my products, I've worked with publishers who've produced my books, I've, I've I've funded some of my own products that have been printed, and I've kind of done all different aspects of the field. And it's if you can do it yourself, you really do end up making more money than going with a publisher. It sounds better on your resume to maybe have your book or your items published through such and so large company, but really the end result in your bank account is larger if you are able to do it yourself. And sometimes much larger. <laughs> yes. You yes. know, um, so that's amazing. I'm excited to see what you come up with this coming year. That's really great. Um, awesome. And that's, I know you spent much of 2013 writing a third book. And now that the manuscript is sent off, what kinds of projects are you working on? Oh, it's just like, you know, the floodgates <laughs> opening after coming out from under the book deadline. So um, I'm just really excited to start fresh with the new year and I'm getting back to um, designing more bag and accessory patterns. So, um, you know, just like Claudine with the self-publishing, um, I feel like that's the bulk of my business is my um, PDF patterns for my bags and craft patterns and things like that. So that's uh, my main focus. I'm also um, collaborating with some other people. Um, right now I'm participating in a bag of the month club and that is being spearheaded by Sarah of So Sweetness. 
and we're each there's there's six designers total and um, there's going to be a new bag every month for six months and I'm I miss April so mine will be coming out then and and that's really fun I do like um, doing things on my own but I like uh, collaborating too so I hope to do a little more of that this year and I think it's, it's so exciting to see Right, that's a collaboration, but it's also self-publishing at the same time. So it's really exciting to see designers coming together and saying, you know, we can put out a sort of substantive body of work or a club, and all of us can sort of share the revenue and share the excitement and the marketing for that. Right, and I think, you know, I think that some of the, you know, alliances with other companies and you know, publishing traditionally, I think all those things are part of the puzzle, and I think that. Doing some of those, um, you know, collaborations with traditional companies or publishers kind of give you a foundation and maybe um, broaden who you appeal to. And then when you go off and do the things on your own, then you have those people, you know, that know who you are as well. So I, I think it's all good. Yeah. And I've actually, I've learned a lot from working with traditional publishers and doing, you know, traditional kinds of um, products that are you know, put have national distribution, just working with those companies and learning what it is that they're looking for, how they want things formatted. That's been an interesting education for me, at least. Right, exactly. Awesome. Okay, super. So I'm um, doing some income reports and number crunching from 2013, which was the first year that I kept financial records for my business because my business just incorporated at the beginning of 2013. So I've been working on that and um, going to do some blog posts about it, which is fun for me. Um, my husband is the finance guy, so he's been helping me analyze those numbers, which I really appreciate. And um, I also am working on a big um, huggable fleece Humpty Dumpty, which is going to be my second pattern of the year, and I'm kind of in love with him, so I need to make a couple more samples, but, um, but that will be coming up for me too. So... Um, that's on my list. All right. So now we're going to get into all of our picks and Claudine, you're first. So you wanted to talk about Desire Map, a book by Danielle Laporte. Yes. If you don't follow Danielle Laporte, everybody listening needs to go check out her website, follow her. I just, I really like her energy and her vibe. And she has a program called the Desire Map. And instead of picking New Year's resolutions, you focus on picking out how you want to feel within the year. Okay. And I looked at the video. Um, excuse my phone ringing. That's the superintendent telling me that there's no school uh, tomorrow <laughs> for my kids because we're having a blizzard. Um, okay. So that's what that phone is. But anyway, I looked at the video on Danielle's website. Um, she is very convincing and um, it's a little bit sexy, I'm going to say, the video. like you're Danielle like, is a sexy lady and yeah. she has beautiful voice. I would kill for a voice like that. But she... Um, if you download the sample, um, the sample is so full of juicy goodness of um, the first chapter is very long or the first few chapters that are in the sample. So you can see if you like it. And for me, it's just, um, I, I think it's an interesting way to approach uh, your resolutions or the new year. Um, I'm very super goal driven highly motivated. I'm constantly beating up on myself. So the last thing I need is a, another resolution telling me to that I'm not doing XYZ right. I'd rather focus on really how do I want to feel within the year. And she has guidelines to kind of get you to figure out uh, your core desired feelings. So for me, it's I think it's a really interesting approach. Awesome. So can you give me an example of like one of the feelings that you might identify and then what she would recommend is how to sort of work toward having that feeling instead of having you know a resolution where you're like checking off a list of things that you need to accomplish well she has um right now I'm still at the part where I'm coming up with my core desired feelings so I haven't gotten to any of the parts about implementing them but I can tell you one of my feelings or my words of the year is going to be present and um, I really want to work much harder on being present and um, instead of always living in the future 
and um, or rehashing things that have happened in the past. So it's it's helped me get to that point. And she has a lot of talk at the beginning of the book about feelings and identifying your feelings. And really, those are things that often we don't really think that much about. We th- we you know we might feel angry or sad and kind of no- notice it, but she goes deeper into processing your emotions and feelings and I found that really uh, very interesting yeah yeah and how that relates to your business too you know like how that relates to it all relates to the business because for me I am very um, my business basically how my business is going is how I also feel about myself so I'm trying to separate the two that I could have a bad day in my business, but that doesn't mean I'm a bad person or I you know, don't deserve to have a nice evening because my project didn't go well that day or something like that. So I think it all, it definitely, when you are self-employed, I, I think that your emotional state definitely relates to your business as well. Yeah, gosh, that is really true. That's super. Thank you so much. I'm going to check it out. Um, all right, so um, so Beth, you wanted to talk about Twitter lists, which you use to to sort of keep your Twitter feed manageable. I don't use these, so I'm excited to hear about them. <laughs> um, well, it's pretty simple, and I think actually I got this tip from Claudine a few years ago. <laughs> it's kind of funny that we're both here today. Um, anyway, what I use the Twitter list for primarily is... Um, just to kind of focus my Twitter feed and um, just narrow it enough so that it's manageable. So basically, I have, I think I'm following, I'm following more than a thousand people. But when I started, I felt like I could only follow a hundred people. That was sort of like my maximum for really um, reading what I wanted to read and being able to keep up. And you know, I'd add a few people and unfollow a few people because I had this like magic number of 100 for some reason. <laughs> I don't really know. It's kind of random. Anyway, um, I when they started the whole thing with the list, I figured that I could really like keep following people and, you know, be reciprocal. When someone followed me, I could follow them back. And if I had this list of 100, then I could look at that and sort of like weed out a lot of the noise from having a thousand people to follow and just look at that and then also be able to go back and, and click on the broad view and sort of see what's happening um, across the board. But I, I have sort of my daily peeps <laughs> list. And I think I think of that as sort of like, you know, who, who you work with on a daily basis, kind of like who you would talk to around the, the coffee or the water cooler. So um, you can make your little private, which my daily peep list is private, or you can have um, public lists. And um, I think some people use the lists for um, categories, like say you like to follow celebrities, you can have a celebrity list, or um, people that sew, or people that knit, or um, something for another facet of business, maybe your your business bloggers, you could have a, a list for that. And um, I think it's just a really nice way to kind of like funnel it because there is so much out there. Yeah, and if you look on the Twitter homepage along the left side, you can click on, I'm looking just on my um, my desktop computer, you can click on lists. And I'm wondering if that's sort of searchable or how you find, because I guess li- a, a great Twitter list would be a neat way to find new people to follow. Um, for example, if you're sort of new to Twitter and you're not really sure you know, you want to get into it by following some interesting people who tweet some interesting things throughout the day. A, t- a great list of, you know, people who sew would be, for example, a way to kind of get into it. And I'm just wondering how you find a good list. I don't really actually know that. Do, do either of you know? I think that they are searchable. I follow quite a few lists. I actually have a list of my own if people wanted to join it, and it's called Creative Biz, B-I-Z, info, and it's just all the thought leaders that I like to follow um, and um, different business people. So they're they're not necessarily creative people all the time, but they are 
good business tips and things. You're on there, Abby. You're oh, on that's awesome. So, um, so I'll put that in the show notes, Claudine, if you send me a link to the list so people can kind of see how a public list works and, um, and maybe follow it and, um, and, and maybe want to, you know, create their own after kind of experiencing that. And I might create one too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, super. Thank you. Um, all right. So um, my first pick was a new podcast, new to me podcast called From Scratch. Um, it's actually an NPR podcast, and you can get it for free um, in the on iTunes. And the host is a woman named Jessica Harris. She's a New Yorker. She uh, went to Harvard undergrad and has a degree from Columbia Business School. She used to be a filmmaker. And she is a fantastic interviewer. She has, number one, a great voice for radio. She um, asks poignant questions and then gets out of the way. So sort of like the way Terry Gross does, she really asks a good question. She does her research. She knows her guests well. um, And she has great guests. So some of my favorite interviews, they're all either 19 minutes long or 32 minutes long, so they're not super long. Um, I have listened to one by Rob from, she interviewed Rob Kalin, the founder of Etsy. Um, she interviewed um, Neil Blumenthal, who is the, one of the co-founders of Warby Parker, the eyeglass company. Um, mm. She interviewed uh, Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter and the founder of Square. Um, Leah Boosk, who is the founder of TaskRabbit. Um, I haven't listened to this one yet, but it's on my queue. Yancey Strickler, who's the co-founder of Kickstarter. Um, and I loved the interview with Ian Falconer, who is a children's book author and illustrator. He was terrific. So, um, first the music in the beginning of the show is fantastic. Everything about the show is great. It's well edited. It's, um, the audio is great. Just everything is wonderful. I went on a run in this blizzard this morning and, um, from scratch totally got me through (laughs) So it's oh, awesome. Yeah, I recommend it. There's lots of um, episodes already, you know, that you can go back through and download. And yeah, I when I find a new one that's really, really good, this is this is one of them. So I recommend Great. it. Great. Yeah. I'm adding that to my podcast list. I'm addicted to podcasts. So. Me too. <laughs> that makes that's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Um, and she's on Twitter too. Uh, so if you want to follow her, Jessica Harris. Um, okay, uh, Claudine, we're back up to you about my Birchbox, a subscription service. Yes, well, this is uh, definitely not business related, but it's fun and a little self care related, uh, which seems to be my theme lately. And uh, Birchbox is a subscription service for $10 a month. You can uh, enter in your little profile about what kind of uh, makeup or perfume or different kind of samples you want and every month you get a little uh, surprise box of samples and I got it for my my birthday which was last um, which was in December and I just thought it would be a great birthday present for myself because every month I would get this fun little girly box full of different makeups and things like that and since I don't really have any girlfriends that I hang out with here. It's kind of like a girly time. It comes with nail polish and different things. And I, I think it's a great deal for $10 a month. Nice. Yeah. And it would be a great gift to give to somebody else too, like a new mom or... I don't know, yeah. Some- or even teen, like our, we thought of our nieces that are 14 around there. And um, it's just really fun because you don't know what you're going to get. So some of it you may not like, like I already gave away a lip gloss to my sister-in-law or, you know, and stuff like that. But it's, um, it's just, I think it's really fun to get. There's so few surprises anymore now in life. It's nice to have a little surprise each month. So what was your favorite thing in the most recent box? They had a, um, a little hair tie I've been using a lot. And then a moisturizer that smells like cucumber. That's really great. And a Epsom salt uh, bath bomb thing that was really fun so it was just really fun I love it nice it's so fun to get real mail you know I love it yeah (laughs) yeah even though I'm paying for it it's just I mean it's such a deal ten dollars I think it's great yeah I think that that sounds like a lot of fun um okay so that's you wanted to talk about 
um, the Frix, I think it's called Frixion, maybe it's called Friction, I don't know, pen, which I have wanted to try and I haven't gotten one yet. So, um, so tell us about that. And do you know how to pronounce it? I call it Frixion, but okay. <laughs> I thought, I thought it was Frixion. Like when I read it to myself, that's what I say, but then I just looked at it and I thought maybe they're trying to say friction. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Well, friction is a good way to think of it because um, basically it's a pen that you can, you know, get on Amazon or I think I've seen it at CVS, um, definitely Staples, someplace like that. Um, it's a pen that's just, it's made for paper and it has thermosensitive gel ink and the, the goal of the pen, I think, the intention of the pen was an erasable pen. And I'm sure you remember erasable pens of the past <laughs> that um, are like a pencil where when you erase it, it makes like the little eraser crumbs all over the place. <laughs> well, the Frixion pen, the little erase eraser nub is plastic or rubber or something. Um, and the friction and the, you know, the heat of rubbing that on what you've written is what erases it. So it doesn't actually like make those little crumbs. So that's kind of nice. Um, but I like to use it and a lot of people, you know, that embroider and need to transfer markings onto fabric, use it for that. So I use it when I'm um, cutting something out. Sometimes I'll, you know, use a ruler and make a line with it on the fabric. And the really cool thing is that it, it erases with heat. So if it's something, you know, that I'm going to iron, um, I just take it over to the ironing board and it's like completely gone. I mean, there, there may be some hardly visible residue, but I, you know, it's basically completely gone. And um, the one thing that you need to worry about or, you know, need to consider is sometimes when you're sewing and you mark things and then you press them, you, you might still need that mark. So if... If that's the situation, you don't want to use this pen. But if it's a situation where you mark it and then as soon as, you know, you've cut or whatever you're, you've done, then you can go erase it and then it's gone, then, then it's perfect. Um, it comes in different colors and um, it does come back in the cold. So my kids were using it when I first got it as like a little secret message thing where they write something on a piece of paper and then erase it. And then they'd stick it in the freezer to make the message come back. That is cool. I love that. <laughs> um, and then you can make it disappear again when it gets hot. But um, so I guess, you know, say you were um, sewing, I don't know, fleece mittens or something. And then you, you mark them and then you ironed it away. And then you went outside. It's possible that those markings, depending on where they were, you know, could show up again if it got cold. But then you just get it warm again and they disappear. So. Oh my gosh, they're like freaky freezies. Do you guys remember <laughs> kind that? Of, kind of. So I, <laughs> I like it. I mean, I use it. You wouldn't want to sign a check with it or something like that or, um, <laughs> you know, like write on something and then leave it in the hot car. It might disappear. But um, I think, you know, for sewing and embroidery marks, I think it's really great because, you know, sometimes it's just very difficult to get some of the other marking tools out of the fabric. Yeah, um, I use a water soluble pen and sometimes I have to spray it, let it dry and then spray it two or three more times to actually get all of the blue ink to disappear completely. Right, right. That's awesome. I'm going to give it a try. And I didn't know you could get them at Staples. Wow, that's like opening up a whole new <laughs> shopping. I love Staples, so that's perfect. Um, okay, uh, so my, my next pick is sort of silly. Um, it's called LOL My Thesis. Have you guys seen this? No. Um, okay, so it's a tumbler. I just discovered it over the weekend. I think it's fairly new. Um, it was started by a Harvard senior who is procrastinating from writing her own senior thesis. And es essentially what people do is distill their undergraduate thesis into a single sentence, yeah. um, which is hilarious in so many ways because I wrote an undergraduate thesis and my husband did too. And, you know, it's like a year's worth of, of toil where you're like stressing and working on it all the time. And it's this like 100 page document with all of these footnotes and everything else and then it's bound and presented and all of this and it's a fantastic experience you know to write an undergraduate thesis and have that body of work but I think most of them end up to be you know sort of totally useless like I guess a few of them 
you know, become actual works, but most of them are just, you know, sort of stuffed in a drawer. And, and the whole point of the, uh, you know, the whole point of the paper ended up sort of being defeatist, like somebody else had already written it or the, the science experiment failed or whatever. So, so they're really funny. And um, so my undergraduate thesis was about desegregation and the Baltimore City public schools. But my husband was a geology major at Amherst and so he submitted his senior thesis to LOL My Thesis, and they accepted it over the weekend. He was really <laughs> thrilled. So his is, rocks that are next to each other in Massachusetts now were also <laughs> next to each other 400 million years ago. That was his senior thesis at, uh, at Amherst. Um, but there's some other, like, really great ones on there. Um, so, so here's one. People get really bored listening to beeping for an hour, but they'll do it when professors require experiment credit. That was a psychology <laughs> thesis at the University of Chicago. Um, so online ads that claim you are the 100,000th visitor are surprisingly effective. That was a computer science thesis at Harvard. Um, so just because there's a bike lane on your street doesn't mean your rent will be higher or lower. Bikes are statistically insignificant to your rent. That was an <laughs> economics thesis at Reed College. So anyway, if you want a serious laugh, if you wrote an undergraduate thesis or even if you didn't, um, just reading through them, you see, you just see some really, it, it, it really exemplifies what, what that experience was about. And um, we were just in hysterics and I love Tumblr for that. So, um, so that's LOL my thesis. Uh, all right, Claudine, we're back up to you. And um, okay, Blogcast blog FM podcast. I have listened to this before. Um, so why, why is Blogcast FM on your list? Well, as we were all saying, we're addicted to podcasts and probably because we work alone. I know I'm alone all day. I don't see or really talk to anybody until I see my husband when he comes back from work. So to keep me from going store crazy, I listen to all kinds of uh, podcasts. And what I really like about Blogcast FM are um, it's grown so much from being just about blogging. Now it's really about life. And the guests that he has on there are just so fascinating and interesting. And I really like the, uh, the way that the conversation goes. There's always something that I can apply uh, to my, directly to my business or my life from every single one of his podcasts. He produces it three times a week. So there's enough content on there for me to uh, listen to since I'm listening to podcasts all the time. And so I just really love it. I think it's a great podcast and um, I highly recommend checking it out. So the, the host of the show is Srinivas Rao and he's mm -hmm. like a surfer, right? He lives in California and he's really into surfing. I know this. Um, he is into surfing. He will mention it maybe about every episode. But that's <laughs> But that's awesome. It's great to have a hobby. Right. And, um, yeah, so he and then him and this other gentleman, uh, Greg Hartle, they do an episode at the end of the week where they sort of recap their week's worth of episodes and um, and talk about the the good snippets that you can take from them and incorporate into your business or just uh, things that they want to highlight from the different podcasts. So that's a great way to kind of focus in on see what you can use from the different episodes that you listen to. I enjoyed the one with, um, is it Tara or Tara Gentili? I liked that one. I listened to a few. He has quite a few. I, I wonder, has he had Danielle Laporte? I bet he has. Oh, a few times yeah. he's had Danielle Laporte. And I'll re-listen to those ones. He had a blogger whose blog is called Life After Tampons. And she was so awesome. She... Um, actually lives in our area of Betts and I actually live near each other. She lives in Frederick, Maryland, and she writes sort of about big life changes and she had a very emotional experiences of losing her uh, baby daughter and she writes about that and going through big emotional changes in your life. And she's just was a very grounded person to listen to. So now, of course, I'm on her mailing list. And so you kind of find other people that you want to follow along the way just from listening to that podcast. Yeah, I think that's where I heard about Tender Nuggets, which is um, 
a webcomic and he interviewed her about how she produces Tender Nuggets, which is hilarious. And I actually, um, she only sort of publishes something once a month, but I, I always really enjoy them. And I sort of randomly found her from Blogcast FM. So you're right that you can find new people that way that you've never heard of. And I like that it's so frequent. So you can get enough um, audio because I like you listen to like 25 hours of audio a week so um <laughs> yes and then you run through them very fast and yeah you <laughs> yeah totally oh my gosh I, it's yeah it's a problem so um okay that's a good one um okay so Betsy you wanted to talk about box office mom and another site called kids in mind both of them are about movies that's right well we often have movie night, like Friday night, and we look on Netflix or Hulu or, um, you know, try to find something to watch um, that's suitable for the whole family. And I have two boys, and they both just turned 12 and 14. So there's a lot of movies that, you know, we reminisce about, you know, from the 80s, like all the John Hughes movies, and, oh, you know, I think the boys might like this one, and... You know, your memory really isn't all that good about details from movies that you saw when you were 20. <laughs> you know, so um, so a lot of times we'll go to one of these websites and just check out, um, you know, what what really is happening in these in these movies. And so Kids in Mind is the one that I started to use first, and it has a whole library. You can search it alphabetically. Um, for any movie and um, it has a lot of movies a lot of older movies so say we wanted to watch you know Pretty in Pink or um, you know My Cousin Vinny or something like that from the 80s you could go on there I'm not 100% sure those two are on there but those are just examples so you could go on there and look it up and it has a little bar chart for um, profanity, violence, sexual innuendos, like whatever, you know, you're worried about for, for kids and watching, it'll have, um, you know, rating, whether it's low or high. And, and then it also has a pretty descriptive um, list of what happens in the movie under each of those categories. So it'll say, like, you know, a man gets hit in the head with a bowling ball. Um, a woman has a see-through shirt on. Or, like, <laughs> you know, it just goes on and it, and it says, like, what exactly is happening. And so you can decide, like, well, this will bother my kid or this will bother me if they see this. And they have a thing for language, too. Um, so, you know, we just had a few too many times where... Um, I'll give you an example with <laughs> my cousin Vinny. We thought, okay, I'm thinking through that. I don't think there's anything really inappropriate about that. It, and it's a funny movie. I think the kids will really like it. They use the F word, I'm thinking like 40 times in this movie. Oh, and, you know, both my kids have heard the F word, you know, but it's really, I don't really want to sit there, you know, and watch a movie where they're saying it repeatedly, which, you know, they're old enough where it became funny and you know, I know it's not going to make them say it or whatever. So that was, you know, okay. But um, it really helps, you know, to check out movies ahead of time. And then Box Office Mom is uh, rated by a mom. And she gives the movies, like, buckets. She does a bucket rating with, like, the little bucket of popcorn. And basically she reviews everything really up to the moment like all the newest movies like if if someone calls one of my sons to go to see a movie I look it up on there first so she's seen all the new stuff and she rates it for content from um, mild to excessive and she'll she'll talk about she'll kind of review it as well like a normal movie review and then she'll say whether or not um, it will appeal to teens so sometimes she'll give something like two buckets and say, oh, there was, you know, horrible language and, you know, it was really violent. Teens would love it. Yes, they would. <laughs> you know, but she, but she wouldn't recommend anyone under 17 to see it or something like that. So I think between the two, I feel really covered. And, you know, it's just so quick. You just hop on there and look and you can say, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's actually sounds like it would be good for me, too, because I don't like to see movies 
with sexual violence in it. And so um, I sometimes get caught off guard. Like I don't know that it's going to have that in it. So I right. like to know in advance so I can just skip that one. So that's, um, it, you know, it's sort of good if you don't have kids or you're not seeing a movie with kids, but just for yourself too. Right. And I will say that um, the Kids in Mind one, because it breaks down exactly what's happening, um, it is it is like a spoiler. So say it's a movie that you're going to see as a family and you've not seen it yet, that will, you can get a lot of the plot out of it, which, you know, might spoil it for you. I think um, the box office mom one will address, you know, she'll write all the swear words that are in it or, you know, talk about what kind of innuendos happen, but you don't really, it doesn't give away the story. So that's another difference between the two. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, all right. That's awesome. Um, I will just say that I haven't seen a movie in like eight years. So um, <laughs> I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> um, I just don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't, I don't have time or something. So, okay. Anyway, um, that's a different issue, but okay. I wanted to talk about um, boots. So I live in Boston. Um, I like to be warm and I like to look cute. And um, so all the, you know, the women around here wear these tall kind of leather, you know, boots over jeans, like over skinny jeans or over leggings with a sweater. Um, I wanted to, you know, get in on this trend, get some boots. So I ordered some on Zappos. They came, they, I could not set them up. Okay, they will not go over my calf. So I'm like, okay, maybe I have wide calves and I didn't really know. So I ordered on from Zappos, they have like a wide calf um, search that you can do. I ordered some from there, much less selection. Not a lot of cute boots have wide for make, you know, come in wide calf sizes. Found a few, they came, I swear I still could not zip them up. I'm like, what is wrong with me? So <laughs> I guess it turns out that I have really wide calves. I don't know whether it's because I'm short like I'm five foot two, whether it's because I run, uh, I run four days a week. I don't know what it is, but I started to become self-conscious about my calves, which honestly, I'd never even noticed them before. That's I thought great. they were skinny, right? <laughs> I thought they were fine. I'm like, they're muscular and awesome. What? So this was like a presenting a big problem because I couldn't find any boots, especially if I wanted to zip them over jeans. I mean, no way. So um, I put this on Twitter, I was complaining about it, and actually Sonia Phillips um, suggested that I look at a website for duo boots. Um, so I did, it's a UK-based company, and um, they have boots in 21 calf sizes. So if you have very thin, slender calves, or if you're like me and have wide calves, um, they have boots in every single calf size imaginable. So. And not only that, they're adorable. Like they're really stylish, they're super cute, and the leather is amazing. Like they're super quality too. They tell you exactly how to measure your calf accurately um, so that you won't end up with the wrong boots and have to return them. The workmanship is fantastic. I measure my calf. I bought these really cute black boots with a two and a half inch heel. They came. I can zip them over any jeans and I wear them every day. I love them. So I, and I made me feel good about my calves again. So I really recommend duo boots, even if you have regular size calves, they are really good boots. They're not cheap, but it's one of those things where I think you could wear this pair of boots for more than a year. Like you could wear them for a few years because they're really beautifully made. So there you go. Sounds good. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, so Claudine, we're back to you. The Gratitude app by Happy Tapper. I don't know anything about this. Well, it's just a little app that you have on your iPhone or uh, device, and you can enter in the ideas that you enter in every day, things that you are grateful for like small things that have happened or whatever makes you feel grateful throughout the day. I actually do try to do it all day long as things happen because if I get to the end of the day and then I'm like, well, what happened today that I'm grateful for? I can't like remember back. I can't remember something small like how much I enjoyed doing yoga with our fireplace on, you know, and 
feeling all warm and cozy while I did my yoga or something like that. So I try to do it all throughout the day and make a practice of it. And for me, it kind of serves two purposes. It reminds me of even what happened that day because oftentimes I will get to the end of the day. I don't remember just little tiny things. And so I'll try to review it at the end of the day to remember all of these good things that happen uh, during the day. So it's a it's like a journal. It acts like a journal, and you can get it on your phone or your iPad. I'm guessing, or on your PC, and then um, and then you you kind of open it and then just type something in, and it saves it for you. And then does it compile it in some way? Yeah, it saves by the date, and then you can add little stars for if how good a day you thought it was. You could, five-star day, three-star day. You can add photos to your posts and all of those things. I just use it in the very most basic format. I just type text into it, but you can do all kinds of other things with it as well. You can have a photo a day with it and all those types of things. It sounds like it would be good with a desire map for being present too. Yes, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> right? You work with those two things together and it kind of helps you, right? If you write down the things that you're grateful for as the day goes by or just sort of things that happen, you remember them and you remember to stay in the present moment. Exactly. Yeah, I have trouble with that. I'm always <laughs> stressing about the future. Um, Me so, too. Yeah, that's like my perpetual state. Um all right, so that sounds terrific, um, and especially as we start 2014, um, it might be a good thing to sort of pop, pop onto your phone, and then you can, you know, keep yourself reminded of, of what's happening. You know, you can also probably look back through, through the year and remind yourself of what your state of mind was in different months, too. Exactly. That's why I like to look back, even just a few weeks ago, and you'll be like, oh, I forgot that that happened. And, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and with kids, too, it, it might be fun to sort of write down some of the things that they're saying and doing and thinking about and what's stressing you about them. And, you know, later you see it wasn't such a big deal. <laughs> so Yeah. And a lot of people like it as a family activity, talk at dinner about maybe two or three things that you were grateful for that happened during the day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it, you could use it in a variety of ways. Well, that's a good thing to know about um, Okay, so Bets, um, you wanted to talk about um, John Cleese on creativity, and this is uh, both a YouTube video as well as some articles about uh, about John Cleese and, and his thoughts on creativity. Yes, um, I love this one. <laughs> um, so I saw a video on YouTube of John Cleese, who's you know, a comedian and actor, and I saw this a couple years ago and had forgotten about it and then looked it up again. And there's actually quite a few times that he's spoken on this. So, you know, you can do a Google search and find all kinds of um, excerpts. There's, I think the one you link to is about a half an hour long, but there's a couple 10 minute ones. Um, and I've just found that he's he's been asked to speak on this topic a lot. So, um, you know, you can, you can find it all over the place. So, his main thing that he says, and this is the quote that's always pulled out that I love, is creativity is not a talent, it is a way of operating. And I just think that's so brilliant because I think about, um, I'm sure as creative people you've heard this, you know, when speaking to other people, and they say, oh, you're so lucky you're creative, I'm not creative. And it's like, we all know that that's not true. And but where are the words? Like, how do you even how do you even explain to someone that it's it's in there? You just have to exercise it. And so I love I love listening to this. And I also think of design as creative problem solving. And that's just that's just what it is to me. It doesn't sound very glamorous to think of design as <laughs> creative problem solving, but but that's what you're really doing when you're working through something. And um, I'll just hit a couple highlights of, of what he says, but I strongly recommend um, that people go listen to his, his videos on these. So um, he talks about um, your mind and two states of being open and being closed. And so when you're in the open state, it's when you're pondering the problem. And then you get to a certain point 
where then you have to sort of go into the closed mode to execute um, whatever you know decisions you made about how to deal with this problem or how to you know solve this design um, problem. And then he talks about five things that you need, and the first thing is space. So you need to like remove yourself from um, email and phone and chaos and whatever that is, and you know make a space for yourself. And then he talks about time, and so aside from um, the space that you set aside, you need a, a specified amount of time. And then number three is time, <laughs> again, um, which means you really need to give yourself as long as possible to come up with a solution. And he talks about the discomfort in that. And I know we all know like when you're working on a prototype for something and it's not working and you get to that really like uncomfortable part where you're kind of like, mad at yourself and you can't get it off your mind and you're like why is this not working and and he just talks about like yes that's part of the process you're not you're not doing it wrong you're doing it right like keep pushing through it and then he talks about number four is confidence um and the fear of mistake making mistakes would just you know can kill your creativity and then number five is humor and he talks about um you know the process, you're going from the open state to the closed state, back and forth and back and forth, and that humor is one thing that will really allow you to switch from one to the other most easily, or, or I guess more, get you back to the open state once you've been closed. So that's just like a brief overview, but it's really good. And of course, he's really funny when he does the speech too, so <laughs> that helps. That sounds fantastic, and what a neat way to think about it. I love a couple of a couple of things. I love that time is on there twice, and that <laughs> it's on there because you know how important it is, and it makes you uncomfortable like that. Well, you can't have it twice on your list if you're gonna have a list of five things, and two of them are the same thing. But yeah. um, but so I, I think that's that's really super um, because that is really it's just such an important part of of being creative is sort of just letting things sit for a while and. Mm -hmm coming back later. I mean, how many of us have like been totally stumped and then had to sort of set something aside for a weekend and then you come back and you're like, oh, I see. This should have been upside down, you know, <laughs> um, which is such a great moment. Um, so that I'm going to totally watch it tonight. That sounds great. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. Next on my list um, is a, an Indian recipe blog. I cook a lot in my house. I cook six nights a week, and um, I like to cook Indian food a lot. We live um, close to an Indian grocery, and I've stocked up on lots of sort of bulk spices so that I can cook any um, Indian dish without having to run out for some specialty spice or ingredient. Um, so uh, if you have an Indian grocer near you, this is a great blog. Um, it's called Vajaila, and it's actually a woman, her name is Honey Sarah Naveen. She started blogging in 2009, and she's just a home cook. She's not anything fancy. She um, sadly isn't blogging anymore, but she has a fantastic and well-organized recipe archive on her blog. And um, she lives in the Midwest. She moved to the United States shortly after getting married. Um, she was in Kerala in southwestern India. That's where she's from. And these recipes are basically her mother and her grandmother's recipes, how they cooked at home. Um, and they're really, really great. One of uh, the best categories of recipes that I've cooked my way through are called Thoran. And this is like a side dish that you can make with almost any vegetable. It makes all vegetables taste delicious. I'm just like totally convinced. We have um, a CSA share, like a community supported agriculture share in the summer. And we get all kinds of vegetables. And then I'm like, Iron Chef, like I got to figure out a way to use beet greens or whatever for the week. And we often get tons of the same vegetable that happens to be you know, ready to pick. Um, so for three or four weeks in a row, it's like cabbage, cabbage, cabbage. And you have to just like can't eat coleslaw every day. You have to come up with something to do with the cabbage. So you can make a Thoran. Um, so it's, it's like a dry dish. You stir fry it with mustard seeds, ginger, uh, grated coconut, 
turmeric, and then um, curry leaves, which you can buy at the Indian grocer, or you can, and we keep them in our freezer, um, or you can um, use basil if you don't have curry leaves. And you can make it with carrots, you can make it with cabbage, you can make it with beets, anything. Any, uh, actually you can use canned tuna. You can make tuna theran, which is delicious for lunch and it's really healthy, um, takes 10 minutes to prepare and it makes everything so yummy. So anyway, I will link to some of my favorite therans and to the Vajaila blog um, itself if you like to cook Indian food or wanna try something that um, that isn't hard and is really, really good. If you follow her recipes, I think you'll be in for a treat. Yummy. <laughs> I love Indian food, so that's I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so do we. And my kids like it too, which is helpful. Um, okay, so we are back up to Clydeen. We have one final pick, and it's also a recipe. Perfect. So baked apples in the microwave. Do share. Well, I stumbled across this, I can't even remember, maybe Pinterest or something like that. And um, I was looking for just a yummy but healthy dessert while it's cold out. I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those people that can eat ice cream when it's winter. And so I wanted something warm. And I oh, quite in, you love baked apples, but you have to bake them in the oven. Can you hear me? Yeah, you cut Hello? out for a second, but you're back. Okay, it might be my wireless um, network or something like that. But anyway, these are baked apples that you could do in the microwave, and it's super quick and easy, and it tastes fabulous. It's like having a little mini apple pie. It's so good. Okay, so how do I, just tell me like the brief how-to. So I have to core the apple first? Yes, you have to core the apple first, which for me was very difficult until I got an apple core, which just makes life so much easier. And then you can sprinkle in a little cinnamon and a little agave, and then you stuff it full of frozen blueberries. And then you put it in a, uh, a dish that you can cover that's microwave safe, and you put it in the microwave for four minutes, and then it's ready. And then you can eat it. And Dinner. it is... Are so good. Are there specific apples that are better, like Granny Smith versus, you know, a Gala apple, or have you had success with all types? She recommends Honeycrisp, but I've been using Jazz apples, which are really sweet, and I, I love them. But I think it would work with any kind of apple. Wow, this sounds terrific. Yeah, and you could probably sub out, like, what you're stuffing it with, too, or you could put different... Um, mm -hmm. you know, she also has, yeah, she has one with um, raisins in it too, if you like raisins, or you could put raspberries, or uh, there's something about putting the frozen berries in the center that she explains then when it cooks, it, um, it cooks in a certain way. So if you've got frozen berries or blackberries or something like that. It probably makes it more juicy or something because of the water content in the frozen berries. That's my guess, but... That's neat. It does. It tastes good and it looks great. It's even like a little dessert that you could serve to guests and you could put ice cream with it for those of you that wanted ice cream. And it, it does taste like a mini apple pie, but it's super healthy because all you're having are apples and berries. That's awesome. We do um, something with um, bananas where we bake bananas um, and it's sort of similar in that it transforms something that's really kind of mundane into something absolutely delicious that like is gobbled up in minutes. So Ooh, um, I want that recipe. Yeah. I, okay. I will share it. Um, I will share it on the, on the show notes as well because, oh my gosh, it's delicious. So, so good. I'm Yum. like, I'll tell the kids we're having hot bananas. They're like, woohoo, hot bananas. <laughs> yeah. so, it's something about heat with um, certain fruits. It really transforms them, but. Yum, that sounds delicious. <laughs> All right. Um, and um, that's so you have had a standing workstation and it's been three months. So give us the update on your standing workstation. Yeah, well, this isn't as fun as your food, <laughs> your food tips, but oh well. <laughs> I'll just stand here and tell you. About <laughs> um, okay, so. Um, if anyone wants, you know, the full backstory with links about why standing is, you know, good for you, you can um, visit my blog, and maybe Abby, you could add it in the show notes. But sure. um, basically, um, 
you know, I, I'm sure most people have read about how as Americans, we're just really sitting a lot and how you have so much of your life now, the hours of your day are spent, you know, sitting at your computer or sitting in the car or, you know, commuting. Just there's a lot of, there's a lot of sitting happening and how it's really not all that great for our health. So um, my husband converted his computer table to a standing workstation um, maybe even a year ago. It's been it's been quite a while, and um, he's felt like you know it's improved um, you know some aches and pains and some issues he was having. Um, I, as you mentioned, you know just spent most of last year writing a book, sitting on my butt, and so <laughs> I just felt like. I just have to get out of this this chair. And the other thing that happened was um, I started an exercise program that ended up um, giving me like a hamstring injury and the sitting was totally aggravating it. So I decided, you know, I'm going to try this standing workstation thing. So um, we got rid of my chair and we, you know, jerry-rigged my desk to, um, you know, be able to stand. And like I said, you can, you can see a picture of it on my blog. And, um, so, you know, it's really important to have it all ergonomically proper for, you know, the height of um, the keyboard and the mouse and all that stuff and the height of the monitor so that you're, you know, facing forward and not hurting your neck. So the first couple weeks were hard, I have to say. Um, my legs were really tired by the end of the day. My shoulder um, using the mouse would kind of get like a little kink in it. And I think when I used to sit at my computer, you know, I was totally slouching. I was leaning on the arms. I was just like letting the chair support me completely, you know. And so now I stand and I, um, you know, my legs have gotten used to it. Um, I, I do get tired of standing, but um, I have a little stool underneath, like a super short stool. It actually was my uh, nursing stool from a million years ago. So I can put one foot up and that helps a lot with the lower back. And about a month into it, um, I decided that what would work really well is if I got a laptop so I can sit down at some point. Um, there was some discussion about, you know, moderation that like, well, maybe it's not good to stand all the time, you know, and there are times when um, I want to, you know, sit down and work. And so I thought, well, if I had a laptop, then that would um, at least give me the option. So um, that's what I do now. But I still, even now that I have the laptop, I I don't even sit down with it every day. I'd say maybe like once or twice a week, I'll unplug it from you know the keyboard and the monitor that I use at my standing workstation and go sit somewhere with it. But um, it's been really good. I wish I could say you know something crazy like I lost ten pounds or something like that. But uh, that hasn't happened. But um, I do feel you know better about not sitting all day. And I know from one thing that I do snack less um, standing here, which I don't know why that is, but it, I guess, you know, it's not as comfortable. I don't know what, that, what that's all about. But um, So, yeah, did, did you guys have any questions about it? Well, That so sounds awesome. I love the snowball effect of then, then you end up getting the laptop and all that. Now, yeah. now you're all situated, though. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's worked out. It's worked out well. I I have to say, as far as the kids go, well, the kids are happy because they got my old computer when I got the laptop. But um, <laughs> side note, but the um, one thing that's kind of funny that I noticed um, is that I appear to be not as busy when I'm standing to other people. So when the kids would come into my office before and I was sitting at the computer. You know, it was obvious I was working, but something about me standing here and like I'm already up, you know, so I think that, you know, the kids would come in and talk to me and I'd be like, go away. <laughs> Can't you see I'm working? So there's a funny perception about that. But I'd say that's kind of the only negative at this point. And you use it not just at the computer, but also when you're doing your projects and design work and that kind of thing as well. Well, um, most of my work really... I don't know, I'd say the majority of my work is at the computer. So if I'm, um, you know, writing or, you know, doing diagrams or print design or something on the computer, it's, you know, here at the standing workstation. And then I have for, for the cutting and the sewing. And um, I do have a drawing table that I um, 
cut at and sketch at. And so that's, that's standing as well. I do have a, um, a stool. It's not very comfortable, so it <laughs> keeps me standing. I do have a stool if I, if I want to sit there, but mostly I stand at that table. And then the sewing machine I sit at, but I don't, you know, I, I sew frequently, but I don't sit and sew for a long time. Yeah, I know. It's amazing how how little time you actually, I, I actually end up sitting down at the sewing machine in comparison right, to right. It's everything cool. else. Um, wow, well, you're brave. I'm not sure I'm ready to jump into standing. I think I would, I don't know, it would be hard for me. <laughs> now, it was a little weird at first. At, at first, I, I felt um, sort of temporary, like I couldn't find my focus because I thought, well, I'm just, it's kind of that feeling of I'm just doing this for a minute because I'm just standing here. I'm not like settled in. But, um, you know, after three months, I totally feel, you know, like I'm at work when I'm standing here. So, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how habits form, you know? It's right. all about changing your habits. And that really changes, you know, who you are. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, all right. Well, this has been really fun. You guys shared some terrific picks that I'm really excited about. And um, I, I, hope, uh, I hope you'll come back on at some point and share some more because this has been really terrific. Oh, it's um, fabulous. Yeah, thanks. I love I love the variety that we came up with. I think it was good. Yeah, totally. So, um, so I've been talking with uh, Claudine Helmuth, who is um, a, a designer of printables, and you can connect with her at collageartist.com. And I've been talking with um, Beth White, and you can connect with her at uh, bethswhite.com or on her blog, blog.bethswhite.com. And um, I'm Abby Glassenberg. You can find me on my blog, walshenaps.com. And this has been a lot of fun, you guys. So um, I'll talk to you guys soon, okay? Thanks, Abby. You're Thanks. welcome. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.